So with a helicopter, you have um, what's called a dead man's curve. So mm. basically, when they're taking off to when they're probably about 50 metres in the air, um, they call it a dead man's curve. That they basically, if something goes wrong, they can't land the helicopter safely in that zone. Oh, if you go higher than that, you can auto-rotate and actually bring it down in a controlled sort of fashion. Okay. But with all of the work that we do with helicopter screening, you're in the dead man zone the whole time. Hey guys, uh, it's Ryan hey, with Joe. my good mate Jack here and we are the Engineers. Welcome back to another episode and it is an absolute... It was a doozy. It was a, a banger this week, for sure. We literally, we finished uh, a bulk of his story and I literally just was like, oh, so what am I supposed to talk about next? We're literally blown away, so... Yeah, I think there's a few times during the episode where we both kind of, there's a bit of a silent patch because we're both in awe of kind of the story and how big it is. If um, you want to talk about more cool stories, then listen to how Warren is in a helicopter pulling overhead conductors <laughs> five kilometers to actually power up this power system for QGC. It's, it's got insane. It, it's got it all this episode. We've got helicopters, we've got... James Bond. Like, we, yeah. we interviewed James Bond, let's be <laughs> honest. We interviewed James Bond. But uh, guys, it was an amazing story about, uh, I suppose, dealing with pressure at work, um, you know, working in smaller companies to learn a lot, um, checking, moving your family up north, there was a, a bunch of it, and, and our favorite part, I suppose, is not only the crazy story, but uh, mentoring, and learning about how you can take your career further and faster um, by following a lot of the steps that we want to embody and, and what rapid mentoring, uh, you know, Warren's new uh, new company really embodies and, 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 and wants to fulfill. And I suppose that's just by, uh, I suppose, helping graduates and young professionals by taking the tips and advice that we had to learn the slow and hard way and really utilizing them in your career. Would you agree? Mate, definitely. And I think um, Warren's story and what Warren stands for now is really what we're trying to embody in this podcast. So for us to do an episode together was just such a dream come true and it was so appropriate for us to really kind of get in, find out what Warren's doing out there in the engineering community and also the professional community for that matter. And um, I think our goals are pretty closely aligned in what we're trying to do and with what Warren's Definitely. trying to do here. So we are really keen um, to work with Warren in the future and kind of get his message and our own message um, of kind of helping out these young engineers in the early stages yeah. um, out to more people to make um, that transition from university, um, whether it be all your first engineering job and you're just trying to climb the ladder a bit further. Um, yeah, I mean, for me personally, massive learning this episode, mm. learn a lot, and I'm continuing to learn a lot through Warren's program um, in Rapid. Yeah, yeah. so with, with Rapid, a couple of things we love. Um, I mean, the weekly emails from, you know, like a, a book club, pearls of wisdom, you know, little life hacks for, for lack of a better term. Um, it's a really fantastic opportunity. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the podcast, it's just really being consciously incompetent. And once yeah. you actually learn a skill that you didn't know you didn't have, it's amazing how much you can improve further and faster, as I keep Absolutely. mentioning. So, uh, and guys, if you're listening to this episode, hit up rapidmentoring.com.au uh, or info at rapidmentoring.com.au um, or just on LinkedIn, hit up Warren James 
he'll actually have a great offer for you where if you actually mention, mention this episode and the Pretend Engineers, he'll give you a free one-on-one, one-hour uh, coaching, mentoring session um, to really lay out for you the best way you can tackle your career. So um, yeah, we'll shut up, guys. Listen to this episode. It's fantastic. Uh, all about power, electrical engineering, dealing with stress, and mentoring and coaching. So and don't worry for all you civil engineers and mechanicals out there, there's plenty to do with that type of stuff as well. Huge projects going on here, massive systems that require huge amounts of civil engineering and those type of things as well. Yeah. So yeah, definitely listen into this one, it's a great episode. And yep. if you've got any recommendations, uh, who you wanna hear from, what you wanna hear about, what do you not know or what do you want us to cover, then don't hesitate to hit us up on Instagram, LinkedIn, The Pretengineers, uh, or shoot us an email at thepretengineers at gmail.com. But um, as I said, we'll shut up. Enjoy the episode, guys. Thanks very much. Hey, guys. Uh, it is Ryan and my friend here, Jack and welcome back to another episode with the Pretensioners. Ryan, we got a awesome episode lined up uh, tonight, and really have. I mean, this has been a while in the works to be honest for us, and it's one that we're super excited to bring to you guys for yeah. a range of reasons. So you probably more so than me, being an electrical. Yeah, mate, yeah. As, as soon as we started talking to, to Warren at the first coffee, and and he talked about being electrical and QGC and everything you'll hear soon. Um, you know, my my ears pricked up as a, as a power engineer, and um, <laughs> for any for any electrical nerds out there, you'll really love this one. So. Um, I, I, I don't welcome. think it gets much better. Yeah, welcome, Warren. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, hi, I'm Warren James. Um, a, I guess I'd say a former electrical engineer. Uh, <laughs> I've done quite a bit of high-voltage uh, power sort of project management sort of projects and stuff. And, yeah, um, keen to share my stories. Well, um, let's let's start from the start, I suppose. Give us a, give us a light rundown on, uh, I suppose, how you came to be. Well, the um, the background really starts um, start the story right back at the start. It, um, so I grew up in Swan Hill, um, so northwestern Victoria, um, on the family farm. Um, Dad was always a bit of a hard ass and really didn't want me to, <laughs> to end up on the family farm. So he'd uh, he'd always give me the shitty jobs on the farm. He'd be out there chipping burrs and you know driving tractors around in the forty degree heat, and um, he'd be. Yeah, it always gave me a bit of a hard time to, you know, pay attention at school and, um, you know, go and get a, a job or a, get an education where I, I didn't have to go back onto the family farm. Um, so, yeah, at the rock old age of 18, I travelled <laughs> off to... Ran away as fast as you could. <laughs> <laughs> took off to uni and um, went down to Melbourne to La Trobe University and, yeah, um, decided to study, well, it was actually electronic engineering um, at the time, so... Yeah, um, went down there, stayed at a um, you know on-campus residence sort of place with no crazy parties. Three hundred other you know people in the same sort of position, so <laughs> there was a lot of crazy parties. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> go on for a little while. But um, so yeah, it turns out I, I took uh, about five years to to do my four-year degree after failing a couple of subjects. <laughs> here there, You're not alone, mate. Um, yeah, ended up finishing first class honours, which was wow, astounding really? considering I actually 
failed so many subjects in the first couple of years, but apparently, <laughs> impressive. apparently that is impressive. the uh, the grade point average only comes off the third and fourth year subjects. So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I think that still that still remains. I didn't know that actually. Very yeah. lucky with that one. Um, yeah. Can I just butt in and ask why electronics, mate? I mean, for a mechanical engineer like myself, it seems crazy. Yeah, I would never do it. What, what, what you took you from the farm to to the electronics? You know, in this day and age, I think with iPhones and stuff, you could easily get hyped up on it. But but you know. 10, 15 years ago, what was, what yeah, was your idea? Yeah, so much. Yeah, it was actually one of my uncles was a, an electronic um, repairman and, you know, he sold computers and, you know, very nerdy in that sort of space. And I can actually remember when I was probably, uh, you know, 14 or 15 and um, we were in his shop and he's like, oh, you know, check this out. It's new technology. It's Wi-Fi. And, you know, I can, I can send a wow. print job to this printer <laughs> without any cables. And I was just... Blown away. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> and he sent a print job and, and it came out on this printer halfway across the room. No and, way. So, yeah, from there it was just like, wow, how does that work? And yeah. wanted to pull all these things apart and see how they worked. And um, we went down and did a couple of like tours of the different unis and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, Latrobe out of Bandura was a, a really nice, like, bush sort of campus. Um, Really didn't like Melbourne Uni and stuff. That was just really right in the city there. Right in the city, really. Uh, I think like stale and um, like just a lot of concrete everywhere. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you always get claustrophobic right in the city. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so the the campus was really what sold most of it, and it was an engineering degree, and I sort of liked that sort of area, and mm. I yeah. didn't really have any other idea as to <laughs> so, like a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah um, about halfway through that, we got to specialise in, um, you know, a specialty sort of area, and I chose to specialise in biomedical science. Um, wow! Which is again totally, totally different. <laughs> Very much so. At um, so that was cool. Get to learn about anatomy, physiology, and you know something really different um, from that perspective. Um, but then, come third year, it was like, okay, now you've got to go and do your six weeks of industry experience and. It's like, oh, okay. So um, went and did an interview at the um, the Box Hill Hospital for this for a, a volunteer position and a very, very funny story. But with my interview there, they actually got me to get up and um, go and get a few tools and bring them back and to, I don't know why, but... Left-handed screwdriver or something well, like no, that? it was, you know, can you go and get a, <laughs> a Phillips head screwdriver and bring it back? Can you go and get a flathead screwdriver and bring oh, it back? Farm boy, you got this yeah. sorted. So yeah, coming off the farm, it was just like... <laughs> what, what this is a true question <laughs> yeah 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 and anyway I, was, I literally said that I was like you know what are you getting me to get tools for this is ridiculous like, mm. she's like would you believe that you're the seventh person that we've interviewed and you're the first one to bring every tool back correctly oh wow no way oh. out of all these like third year fourth year university students and I'm just like wow that's <laughs> Looking back at some of my fellow uni students, I could probably believe that. Yeah, so I mean, some of them hadn't even started their first job. So, so there are there are weird um, interview questions that you sort of need to, be able to think on the fly. But, um, yeah, so I landed that um, volunteer position, and that firmly cemented that I never want to set foot into another hospital in my <laughs> Ever life. <again. laughs> um, what were the main indicators of that, though? Crying patients, diseases, uh, and all sorts, or yeah, other people's blood was yeah yeah, yeah okay, yeah, um, couldn't stand it yeah, just the smell of the place yeah, um, 
I think as well the um, the amount of responsibility that comes along with it. That you yeah, know, if huge. you're you know working on a piece of equipment and um, you know this piece of equipment is keeping somebody alive, it's mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to make a mistake in what you're doing. Quite daunting. Could, you know, potentially impact somebody's life. So um, yeah, certainly wanted to not go down that direction, um, which I guess is good. It sort of <laughs> ruled out one. Yeah. Of yeah. Um, <laughs> so where'd you where'd you head off to next? Yeah, so I finally um, like graduated and started applying for it's only a few roles actually um, so one of the first roles that I applied for it was a, a graduate rotation program um, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the ad and got invited <laughs> to an interview and, um, I thought I actually completely botched it considering I didn't know what the company was or what they did and um, it was a an electricity distribution company down in Victoria and and from the advert they had you know it's a rotation position you'll go through the you know the IT section the comms and comms. You know, networking mm-hmm. sort of stuff and high voltage and project management and stuff so it sounded really interesting I still had no idea where I wanted to go or what I wanted mm-hmm. to do so um, you know rotation program was like, it was perfect for me so um had you, had, sorry, had you graduated as a biomedical engineer at no, this stage? So or? It's, it's as, a, as an electrical, well, electronic engineer specialising in. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Special okay, so it wasn't a big leap for you to be no. able to work for a company like no. that. Yeah. I think it's it's quite similar these days with biomedical engineering degrees is that mm. I had quite a few friends where they do biomedical engineering, they do 90% electrical, and then yeah. they do like anatomy and physiology and, you know, maybe one or two other. Oh, and that's subjects. it. And then, yeah. Okay. That's, that's how Griffith University does it. So. few elective sort of exactly. subjects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just to give people yeah, yeah. No, an I, I didn't know that at all, actually. Yeah. yeah okay. So it is mostly electrical, isn't it? Or electronic. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, brought up that I grew up on a farm in the in the interview and <laughs> asked the, tools the guy seemed to be impressed and um, he rang me up like two weeks later and he rambled on and on and on. I remember you saying this. Uh, like, I was I was actually at work. I was working in a like a push bike shop at the time, like just making a bit of money on the side, and I was like. Man, I'm I'm at work. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've got things to do. Can you just hurry up and tell me that have I, I got don't it? have the job? Exactly. Right? Have I, I, got it I didn't not? think I had a chance. So, um, and he's like, oh, and you know, we'd like to offer you a job. And <laughs> can you start in two weeks? And so, I just about fell off my chair. And <laughs> <laughs> sure thing, let's let's do it. And so they, yeah, they sent me out the out the contracts and. Bigger. Yeah, we started working for Agility down in Victoria. It's one of the electricity distribution companies. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So mm. that's that's how you started, I suppose, your power power engineering career. Yeah, so that was definitely in the the high voltage, you know, power network sort of space, and um, that rotation sort of program. I was on that for about eighteen months. We um, after about eighteen months and a couple of rotations down in Victoria, we. I actually got offered a, a relocation to Brisbane to um, to take on a like a full time position, which was outside of the graduate program. It was a like a project coordinator role mm-hmm. up here, and yeah, um, they were starting to build the business up here and stuff. So it was a good opportunity. Um, we packed up our stuff and headed for Brisbane, and 
um, we sort of thought that we'd try it out for 12 months and see how it went and that's yeah, 12 years later so. <laughs> <laughs> the sunshine state mate can't yeah, get enough can't, of it can't leave it now yeah. um, especially this time of year that's for sure yeah <laughs> totally so I'm always curious, um, like there's so many graduate programs out there as well, and there's obviously a lot of ways you can start your career off, and so many people nowadays will graduate uni and go, I have to get into a graduate program, and I think that's kind of the way that I'm going to be able to progress my career and I'll get a good education type thing, but I'm hearing from a lot of um, peers and colleagues that sometimes actually it's not the best way and sometimes you can go to a small firm and you can get that same experience doing things like that in smaller companies and things like that how influential do you think your graduate program was to the rest of your career did it really make your career for you um no to be honest like the graduate program that they had was supposed to be four years Mm. and i only like i did the first rotation moved into the second rotation and basically beyond that i got transferred to brisbane I don't see that there's any reason why you can't do those, you know, rotations or move around or get that exposure without doing a, you know, a, a full-fledged grad, a full-fledged grad program. Yeah, but, um, I, I think it's really great if you don't necessarily know exactly where you want to end up and you want to mm-hmm. try a few different things. Um, it's great for you know getting a well, you know, rounded sort of grounding in a in a business. Yeah. But, so great for about ninety percent of engineers graduating. Yeah, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> uh, I think that would be your preference if you if you could but um, mm, mm, for sure certainly not 100% necessary yeah I guess like the one thing that I have learnt and maybe I'm still learning this in industry is that there are just so many opportunities in smaller little boutique type firms and everyone's kind of going for the big BHPs or GHDs and yeah. things like that whereas there's actually like a lot of smaller companies where you can get the same experience or better um, yeah or better. you know and you know, in the in the small companies and you know, working on small projects, you have to wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. at the same time, and you have to get good at which is massive. Yeah. You know, wearing a lot of different hats. If you you know go and work on a mega project, um, you know, so I'll talk about later. But you know, I literally had a, a quality guy working for me, a safety guy, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, an engineering department, a civil engineer, an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. the list goes on and on, but. And I didn't need to specialise in any of those areas. Yeah. I had somebody else to do it for me. Um, Mm. But you still have to have an understanding of them. Correct. And then if you go back to a small company where you're, or a small project, you know, where you're only running, you know, a million dollars sort of project, you might have a team of three people and... Yeah, you're pretty... And you have to be stretched across the the safety, the quality, the... Yeah, exactly. I was actually definitely going to, I was actually going to say that before you brought it up and having experience in a large consultancy, you, although electrical, they're smaller jobs... Um, yeah, you definitely have a, a more specialised or a more yeah, niche sort of role. Pigeonholed very, exactly. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, whereas, you know, you might work in a small firm with three guys, you've got to do 30% of the work. Whereas if I'm in a bigger team or a bigger company, I'm doing yeah. 5% of the work. So I think the way you put it, though, talking about the different hats is really key. So for anyone listening, um, don't underestimate uh, those smaller companies and those smaller opportunities. So... One yep. thing that I think I'd add just off my experience recently is in a bigger company, I'm not sure if you'd agree with this, Warren, but in a bigger company, I find I found it myself personally quite easily to dodge work. And I really, if I wanted to learn something, it was on me to go out and be proactive and go and do it. In a smaller type company, 
um, or a smaller project, um, there's no dodging. It's all coming straight to you and you just have to do it. So I kind of feel like if you're a lazy person or someone who procrastinates a lot, a smaller company might be a really good place for you to start because you're literally forced into it and just by nature of being there, you will have to do this stuff. And um, a bigger company might be a really good place for someone who's super proactive about their career, super ambitious and things like that. And they can, I kind of feel like they would climb the ladder at the same rate almost doing it that way. I'm not sure if you'd agree. Yeah, I tend to agree. But um, yeah, it, it comes down to the individual as well. Like, yeah, do you want to be a, a small fish in a big pond or, you know, a big fish in a small pond? And, yeah. you know, how do you... You know, there's lots of different ways to go about it, but um, yeah, like there's a lot of opportunities working in the smaller sort of companies. Mm. Um, you know, after I'd been in in Queensland for about 12 months, and it was still a very small sort of company at that point, so you know, I was project managing projects myself, and mm. um, you know, going out to site and having to, <laughs> you know, like prove myself to construction managers, and yeah. You know, they're telling me to go around the corner and grab a lump of 4B2 or something and yeah. I'll be able to bring a lump of 4B2 back because I knew what it was and they'd be alright okay so they'll <laughs> stop giving me a hard yeah, time the rookie and, test yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it happens a lot um, yeah. so yeah after that I, I moved on to Arrow Energy um, went over there one of the guys that I originally reported to when I first moved to Brisbane he'd gone across and he rang me up for a coffee and said that he had a couple of positions available and mm. um, yeah so it took a bit of a, a pay rise to, to go over there and um, he said that you know hey we're building some water treatment plants and it's all for you know to produce water for farming and stuff and he's like oh you, you grew up on a farm and <laughs> you should know about all this stuff and yeah um, okay I'll, I'll give it a go and yeah, um, why not went over there and learned how to build water treatment facilities and <laughs> a bit of a it was a hell of a ride um, like when I started Arrow was you know a very very small company it was only just sort of privately publicly listed um, you know there was like 80 people in the office it was mm. it was tiny and then over that three years that I was there um, like Shell came in after about a year and a half and they they bought 30% of the business um, wow and that you know really changed things. That you know there was big you know cash injection, and um, Shell started bringing some people in. Um, and then after probably another twelve months or so, um, Shell actually went in with a fifty-fifty joint venture and with PetroChina, and they bought out all of Arrow. Huh. Oh wow! Um, so that was that was a big change for the business. So you know then you had like Shell and PetroChina, and mm. um, you know different people calling the shots and um, yeah so a massive sort of change and um, but yeah like a lot of, can a lot you, of sorry to interrupt can you, can you try as best as you can to give maybe examples of, of that organisational and, and environmental change Is it, I know it's not quite an easy thing to quantify but to do, give people an understanding to do it diplomatically is um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of tough um, the like the systems and stuff that that Shell bring to the table are phenomenal. Like they're you know world class sort of stuff. That, of course, yeah. You know their project management training and their the courses and stuff that they put you through is is unbelievable. But mm. um, but then you know your the, the layers of bureaucracy to to get a you know a simple like purchase order or something signed so that you can 
you know, order a little piece of equipment or something. Like, yeah. yeah. In the early days, um, you know, we had a budget of like forty million dollars to go and do a development, mm-hmm. and the project manager and the project engineers could sign off on purchase orders to get the job done. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I could literally sign off on up to a hundred thousand um, dollars. Mm. Yeah. If it was in budget, I could sign off on it and and order it. Um, yeah. And you know, by the end of it, I couldn't sign off on anything. I'd have to go to a general manager to get. Yeah. Wow. Right. And then he'd be like, "Is the project manager across it? Is this in line? Is this? Have you done this? Have you yeah, filled yeah, out yeah. these seventeen check sheets and da 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 to? Um, or it might be multiple signatures. You had to get, you know, multiple people around. Yeah. You know, yeah. Around the building and interesting, you know, to get the head of legal to sign off on it and the head of environment to sign off on it and the you yeah. know, the seventeen different stakeholders within the business to all sign off on the one document. It's absurd. It's like oh, we need to change this to say this, and then the old wording's gone out, and the old guy liked the old wording, and so yeah, yeah, yeah wow. Um, it definitely takes a lot longer to, you know, there's systems and there's procedures in place to. Less dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like the old arrow, you know, you could say, "I want to go and build this, and let's here's the money. Mm. Let's let's go." And you'd you'd be ringing up suppliers and you know placing purchase orders, you know, within a matter of days. And would yeah. you find that um, after the change, you were spending more hours in the office because of those type of things, or they were employing people that were actually kind of helping you out to kind of spend less time in the office type thing? No, the amount of time. It was really, still the same. It would still yeah. be the same. Yeah. Um, like once you get out to site, it's you sort of get a little bit more impervious to mm. the office sort of culture. Um, yeah. Once you're on site, you can really get after it and you know yeah. build it. Yeah. Um, nice. Depending on how you set your contracts up, but mm-hmm. you just so on this project. Um, well, I'm not sure if we even got onto the first project, but obviously you're talking about these plants that were going out. Yeah. Um, were you based predominantly on site, or was this a office type gig, or what was it? Um, so office based. You know, while we're doing, you know, the concept design and all the design sort of work mm-hmm. and doing the procurement. Um, you know, like generally a water treatment plant, you're looking at at least six months mm-hmm. as a you know delivery to site sort of time frame. So um, through that time, we're you know finalising all the other balance of plant design and um, you know start doing our earthworks and yep. building all the concrete foundations and all that sort of stuff so but yeah once it got to that point of you know being out on site we're you know doing fairly regular trips out to site um, yeah like with arrow it was uh, just out past dolby so you know a bit over a three hour drive so mm-hmm. okay and, okay. and for, uh, to, to help explain i suppose as well your day-to-day role um I've actually just finished some work on, on some sewage treatment plants for uh, clients, so that's pretty interesting, but how much of being in a smaller team, how much of the actual design did you do as a project manager and then did you do other aspects, other disciplines, or was it purely the electrical and, and what were you designing and stuff to try and give people, I suppose, an idea of the day-to-day role you had? Um, as far as the design, um, a lot more of the, the conceptual sort of stuff. Um, you know, we would always get... A, a design house to come in, you know, as a, an RPEQ um, mm-hmm. sort of designer to to do the final sort of designs. But yeah, we'd be doing you know trips out to site to you know s- suss out where we thought we could you know put a plant and you know marking stuff out and yep. um, you know looking at the you know the old plans and stuff. And you're really getting into a lot more detail than what you would in a, a bigger sort of company. Um, yeah, and and that's one of the benefits of as we mentioned yeah. of the smaller firms. Multiple yeah, hats. 
Yes, yep. And, you know, coming in as a project engineer and, um, you know, I reported to a, a project manager at the time and he was, you know, interested in making sure that three or four projects were, you know, all coming along. So I, I got lumped with water treatment plants. Um, he was building the compressors. We had another, you know, project engineer that was doing the, the wells and the gathering sort of systems. And, um, yeah, it was all, you know, pulling it all together. But to get that sort of, you know, level of exposure and... Um, responsibility at that age was how old were you at the time oh, that's 24 25 right already yeah, wow yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic yeah yeah okay <laughs> I, don't know, I, I, I think that's that much then yeah <laughs> exactly yeah I, I only graduated at 25 mate so let's not even talk about that but uh, I think that's just a, a quite a clear example of the benefits of a smaller company you know yeah. yep in, in larger firms, um, there's no way you would get that sort of oversight, that sort of, uh, I suppose, financial control, project responsibility, control, yeah. responsibility. There's no way you would get that at, at that age. Not a chance. Yeah. So that, no, that is totally, definitely one benefit. Totally, yeah, one um, opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah, after about three years, um, I actually got a cold call from a recruiter to take up a, bit, a position at QGC. Um well, they invited me to an interview, should I say. Yeah. Mm. Um, it turned out that it was a, a contract role. So basically, it's not a staff role. It was um, you're employed through an agency. It's on a day Like rate, labor hire, almost. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, mm. Exactly the same. So basically, you get paid if you turn up and you work the day. If you don't turn up, you don't get paid. So you don't get any sick leave. You don't get any holiday pay. You... Um, the day rates are good. Um, don't get me wrong, but you know it was a you know a, a massive sort of pay rise um, in doing that. Um, but yeah, there's a no lot security. of a lot of a lot of risk that comes along with it, and not a lot of security. Like it's fairly well written into your contract that they could give you two weeks' notice and yeah, and you're out. And that's um, it. Can you sorry explain for everyone listening? Obviously, interstate and international, whatever. What QGC is? So QGC was. Well, was called the Queensland Gas Company. So it's a coal seam methane uh, gas producer out in the Surat Basin, which is uh, you know anywhere from 300 to 500 kilometres west of Brisbane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, a big player in the uh, in the oil and gas market. So. Yeah. And so you, what was this role then for, for QGC? <clears throat> so with QGC, I got brought in as a project engineer uh, for their high voltage power team. So this was yeah very much getting back into the the power sort of aspects. Um, you know, in the in the interview, they um, they knew that I'd worked at Arrow, which was coal seam gas as well. Um, they you know they, they knew that I had some HV background, so they you know they wanted to know that I knew the lingo of you know, working mm-hmm. in the high voltage sort of industry. And yep, okay, that's a tick and. Um, the fact that I grew up on a farm came up again. Because, <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is all, you know, out in, you know, prime sort of farming sort of territory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, it is it is, it, it is it, quite important though, isn't it? It's relevant and, so. um, yeah, so it, it's it's funny that coming from a farm has actually helped me with pretty much every job that I've had. So, yeah. <laughs> probably actually think that I learnt more from growing up on a farm than I did from an engineering degree, but... <laughs> <laughs> we could all, we could all probably testify that. Yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, so I started at QGC and um, it was a bit of a risk. So I remember, like, like my now wife, like we sat down at the time and we were, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, fairly lucky to have our, our finances, you know, fairly well in order. Um, you know, we knew that we could take a couple of months without pay if it came to it. Like, you know, you know my wife was working and stuff, so um, it was just a, a matter of, you know, okay, let's take a risk and make hay while the sun shines and see how long that this, you know, great opportunity right, could nice. last. And um, yeah. so, yeah, the... Um, the first 12 months was all based in the city. It was very much the, you know, keeping an eye on the design and the procurement and mm. um, getting everything ready to um, to ramp up the construction sort of phase. And um, Would you say that was kind of the calm before the storm or was it full yeah, on right? Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, a fair bit of conflict in that time. There's a, oh, lot, really? of, a lot of personalities mm. on okay. a project of that size and um, a lot of people, you know, wanting to do different things in different ways and... There's a lot of egos in the room. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking like a $25 billion project. There's right. a lot of money getting spent in a lot, a lot of different ways. So, yep. um, yeah, it was um, pretty hectic. And um, and from it being hectic, uh, I ended up having, you know, another two or three people that came along underneath me. And my my role got changed to, um, to lead project engineer, but... Uh, they're like, oh, we'll do a performance review at the end of the twelve-month period, and all right, so <laughs> classic, classic. You get sucked, <laughs> that sucked into that one every time. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got towards the end of the um, that first twelve months, and my, luckily my boss really went into bat for me, and he's you know spoke to HR and said you know we need to review his salary. He said stepped up, and um, you know we we need to review his salary. So um, we got given the paperwork to do a performance review, and we actually spent quite a few hours like you know working through it ticking the boxes you know coming up with evidence of you know where it exceeded expectations and um and stuff like that so there's a heap of like a lot of learnings from yeah. you know, how to like really nail a performance review and having mm-hmm. your, your boss going to bat for you is just key so um so valuable so um can you speak a bit sorry to interrupt can you speak a bit about um i know it's hard but can you speak a bit about what your roles or tasks you might have done as the project engineer and then what you might have done extra as the lead project engineer can you it was for the day-to-day role and stuff to give people a, a bit of an idea can you explain a bit about that is yeah. it a bit hard um, to put it in a nutshell it was really just the managing of the extra the people underneath you so you know I got a couple of project engineers that were working under me so I delegated some of my roles to them but um, it, it meant that I went along to a few of the the higher level sort of meetings and stuff um, I very much became the, the second in command to the to the power project manager so if, mm-hmm. if he was away I'd fill in for him and yep. um, yeah, we worked together really well um, and yeah, yeah cool so much of the same but just more hierarchical where yeah, you're doing similar roles but just the next level up yeah and you move you're moving a step higher but um, for me I sort of stepped a little bit more out of the weeds and into the planning and the scheduling mm. and the bit more of the procurement sort of stuff and master and planning sort of and things like this big picture yeah yeah so, so for example are you still going on site and dealing with like site managers and things like that or yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. it still happens yeah yeah, yeah okay totally. so you're not yeah. just sitting in your ivory tower the whole time and no look yeah, yeah. pretty much our entire team transferred out to site yeah so, right yeah. yeah and well that's great it, if anything it just means you've got a little bit more clout if, you, if you're having an <laughs> argument with a with a contractor or somebody right um, yeah as much as anything it was um, you know ticking the box that you've got people underneath you that you're yeah yep. and then having to manage those people like if 
if they're not doing their job and you've got to... Mm. Um, so again, it's you know a great experience and stuff. So, so yeah, we um we did that performance review, yeah, and that all went really well. And they reviewed that for about three weeks, as they do. But um, <laughs> they finally came back and gave me like a thirty four percent pay rise or something, which was just wowzers. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, like phenomenal. Like you know, already sort of being on that higher sort of salary, and mm. um, yeah, so really blew me away and um, yeah and then I really got into the the construction phase and you know getting out on site and yeah. you know awarding some contracts to some you know tier one sort of contractors mm-hmm. and really getting stuck into the construction and it just it didn't slow down for the next <laughs> four, controlled yeah. chaos you earned all those do- three all and a half four those years, dollars then um, yeah. yeah so I ended up being at QGC for about six years so. massive Six yeah. years, yeah, on a contract like that where you were fearful for losing your job in two weeks notice type thing. It's totally. Yep. Pretty good result. So you even even when you got these big fat pay rises and you were, you know, one of the two I see, like you mentioned, like you yeah. still had a bit of maybe not anxiety, but you were you were cognizant or conscious of the fact that you were in a very tentative position? Um or do you think that eased as you as you had experience and knew the company and stuff like uh, that? like certainly like once you start putting some money aside it the anxiety sort of does um, does ease a little bit, but uh, like my wife and I, we we looked at it at us, you know, a once in a lifetime sort of opportunity. Mm. Um, we'll make the most of it while we can, and didn't expect it to last forever. Mm. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people sort of fall into the trap that they get a pay rise and then they increase their um, their living. lifestyle, yeah, their yeah. living expenses. They go and buy new cars and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, we didn't really go down that path like we yeah um we'd already bought our house at, at that point um so we you know just got stuck into paying the house off um yeah and mm-hmm. you know sort of doing sensible things with our with our money and um didn't trade the toyota for the mercedes-benz then <laughs> no i'm actually still driving the same car that i bought the week that i started at qgc so wow i love it yeah fantastic yeah really cool it mm. just suits my purpose and did yeah. you sorry to interrupt but did you uh ever have any financial counseling or financial uh coaching by anyone you know for a lot of graduates out there that go from part-time jobs at Domino's to you know graduate salary of 50 60 70 thousand dollars did anyone ever coach you or show you or did you just learn that yourself a lot of it has been self-learned and you know even you know learning how to invest and stuff like that it's mm. um yeah it's definitely something that i wish that somebody had of you know shown me a lot more of when i was younger and um, yeah you know I've, I've still got the the same bank account that i had when i was you know <laughs> three or four years old so yeah. it's um you know and a bank account that suits you then certainly doesn't suit you when you're 35 36 years old and mm. um yeah, it's um, definitely something that is self-learned. But but like nowadays, like um, the Barefoot Investor is a, a great resource for favorite book out there for yeah, sure. Yeah, you read I'd it as well. I, I've that. heard a thousand Mate, people talk about it. I've got to read it. it. It's the best yeah. Book. Uh, yeah, okay. Cult-like following, but it's simple, down-to-earth sort of advice that people can just put it's into so actionable as well. Yeah, so. Uh, it's a huge piece of advice that you know for anybody that's just starting out mm. get your finances sorted and just sort them know. right now if you're just starting yeah. out in your first gig and you're getting your first big paycheck and you sort them right now you're going to save yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you retire and if you can keep those university <laughs> spending habits <you> know, going <laughs> whilst 
I'm not saying, you know, eat two minute noodles or your <laughs> whole life, but um, yeah, like a, a lot of the mates that, you know, in the grade programs and stuff that, you know, they'd go out and they'd spend $200 on beer in a night. Mm-hmm. And, you're like I'll have a six pack before I go out and I'll only yeah. buy two or three while I'm out and you know you can spend, spend 50 bucks instead like yeah. a, I remember when I first started the wholesome graduate program actually one of my mates that I was doing it with he we'd been doing it for four months I think and we were all on the same wicket and he uh, went out and bought the 2019 Ford Focus sports model thing which was like a probably a 45 50k car or something like that yeah yeah all on loan like it's all good I'm on the big bucks now it's, and just I, I just couldn't believe it to be honest I was shocked and it's crazy how people would kind of just see these numbers and all of a sudden just go, yeah, all right, sweet, no dramas, I can afford it. Now. Yeah, it is quite interesting, I suppose, um, different mentalities on finance from people, you know, you think... It's such an easy trap. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. But yeah. Yeah, anyway, so, so back to QGC, sorry, a bit of a tangent yeah. on, <laughs> yeah. on finance there. So yeah, um, the first four years of QGC was um, what they called the, the phase one. So we built... The, um, the high voltage substations, overhead transmission lines. So there was um, four substations that we built that time. Um, yep. So 132 to 33 kV. Yep. Um, about a thousand megawatts of hmm. capacity in that. So one gig. Um, one gig. Yeah. It's one gigawatt of power running through those four. Yeah. No, we had yeah. So there's eight transformers in total that we okay. installed. Um, Eight one two five MVOs. Correct. Yep. Wow, those are those are big babies, man. So yeah. just the tank alone, without oil, without the radiators and fins and fans and coolers and all the rest of it, just the tank was um, like ninety six tons. Like huge coming in on the massive trucks. Crazy. So, that, yeah. 125 in, that's massive. For all the people who aren't electrical engineers out there, like myself, I. Th- I'm going to say a, a fact here that I think might be true, but it might be completely wrong. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, I read that it was 8,000 square metres of solar panels is around one megawatt of power. That's what that's what I read the other day. I don't know if you guys can kind of like no, picture something to show people like I wouldn't how know much that of one megawatt of power, but for me... Um, I kind of saw that and just went, oh my, that is ridiculous. Like 8,000 square metres is a lot of land area that you're taking up and producing power on. I don't know, how would you how would you describe one gigawatt of power to someone? Oh, one gigawatt's hard. I was just trying to do a calculation quickly on my phone of 125 MVA. And if you're looking at the average household uses two and a half, three KVA. You're talking suburbs. Yeah, yeah. So I've just done a rough calc, yeah. and, and this is very rough, so don't quote me, but one 125 MVA trainee is looking at 50,000 homes. Correct, yep. 50,000 homes. Insane, yeah. Okay. So times that by eight, you've got you've got Townsville. No, not Townsville, Toowoomba. You've got more than Toowoomba, double Toowoomba. And what are you saying, MVA, sorry? Mega voltage amps? Mega, mega volt amperes, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a, a lot, lot of, of people. Juice. <laughs> I would not be touching that. Okay. Yeah. And you know, if you have a look at the the Queensland grid of you know what all of Queensland is doing, it's mm. you know it's like a fifth of really of a fifth Queensland. Of it. Yeah. Okay. So Huge. Massive. Yeah. In capacity, so we're not actually using all yeah. of that all the time. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was some incredible sort of stuff. Like we put you know close to forty kilometers of overhead transmission lines in. 132,000 volts so you know big 
concrete mm. foundations, steel massive um, infrastructure, steel poles like for the civil engineers like one of the foundations was over 250 cubic metres of concrete <laughs> in the ground, like just the whole one <laughs> one pole. One pole. Yeah. That's and insane. if you've got 40k's yeah, of pole yeah. that's huge man. That's you know, a heavy 40. angle so where the, the line goes around a corner so there's a lot of forces on that particular one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know the, the smallest foundation was a, a 3 metre diameter board pier that would go down about 16 metres. Yeah. And for and just to give people an idea, for electrical power engineers to be involved in a project like with this size of infrastructure, there's probably been what ten or twenty projects like this in Australia ever. Not even not even probably not even probably twenty, yeah, probably no, ten. The you know, it's every couple of years these sort of things come yeah. up. So mm. the amount of 125 MVA trainees in uh, transformers in Australia. You probably oh probably a dozen couple dozen you know this is a very very large infrastructure project and a massive opportunity that's why I my ears pricked yeah, when I was so keen to listen to you it. know the, the phase one stuff we're we're talking like four hundred and fifty million dollars worth of infrastructure you know from you know concept design through procurement mm-hmm. through installation mm-hmm. um, yeah like just to to string the overhead transmission lines so to actually get the lines up in the air, we call it stringing. Um, mm-hmm. So we're using a, a twin-engine helicopter to, to pull those lines in. Um, and <laughs> it, for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's one of the craziest things that you're pulling out a... How do you hold it? So you're, you're sitting in the helicopter. So underneath the helicopter, in the like the landing gear, they'll have a, an attachment point you know, mm-hmm. with a, an auto disconnector sort of thing. And, wow. And a, a, well, it's a slack line that goes off for like 30 metres, but... And yeah, the helicopter will hover down. Somebody will hook it onto a, a draw wire, which is like a great big fishing reel. And then the helicopter—that's <laughs> insane. Pulls it's up just into that easy, just like fishing. Uh, just jump on, jump on YouTube, watch a video. It's I'm it's some of the that. craziest yeah. things. And this helicopter is like hovering on its side, like on like a forty-five degree angle, dragging it, thrust to actually. How big are these choppers? Are they kind of? They're not like a normal. Would it be like a Westpac twin jet engine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like okay. like a Westpac. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Twin jet engine. Like these things are. Oh, yeah. So what yeah. should they Google, Warren? Just for just helicopter stringing is helicopter stringing. I'm gonna Google that when yeah, I we'll finish this episode. Well, so. well worth a watch, but um, so this helicopter could pull like 1.4 ton of weight. Right. So like pulling out a lot of cable. Fair amount. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, stringing like five kilometers of yep. in, in a section. And how thick so. is the cable that's going across? Uh, so we pull like out a, roughly, a draw wire, so about the thickness of your thumb. It's, oh, okay. It's okay. quite a, a light one, and then we yep. actually winch through the final conductor. Okay. And yeah, what's the diameter of the conductor, you reckon? You know, uh, anywhere from a like, like, like a fist that. type thing, or no, nah, it's probably like a fifty cent piece in diameter. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I, I was imagining it being quite large, actually, but yeah, yeah no, it's, it's just the length that is the weight, really. Correct. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's um, incredibly exciting sort of stuff to be involved mm-hmm. with. Um, being the person that was responsible for the execution of the overhead transmission lines. Um, seeing that helicopter fly off into the sunset after they were finished was just the biggest Unreal. relief that I've had in my entire career. Oh, really? <laughs> well, so with a helicopter, you have um, what's called a dead man's curve. So mm. basically when they're taking off to when they're probably about 50 metres in the air, 
Um, they call it a dead man's curve that they basically if something goes wrong they can't land the helicopter safely in that zone Jeez. if you go higher than that you can auto rotate and actually bring it down in a controlled sort of fashion okay. but with all of the work that we do with helicopter screening you're in the dead man's zone the whole time so um, far out yeah, it's, yeah. so if, everyone's cleared away it's just the helicopter yeah, the gone. entire right of way is a yeah. clear zone um, yeah it's so the pilot is like on edge for like a 10 hour shift or something crazy yeah he's getting like an hour out of a tank of fuel and then he's oh, going back yeah. and taking a break and how long did it wow, take you to string insane. all these lines is this like a week or is it a day oh, or months yeah it'd be about no like about 10 days to oh wow 10 days yeah. yeah right in total okay. for really just time. constantly doing lines back how many kilometres would it be the string you said 40k in line did you say so there's 40 kilometres overhead transmission line and they'll do probably about a 5k section okay. in, a, in a day that's oh, insane so yeah. you're pulling through the six like mm-hmm. phase conductors so your red white blue conductors yep. yeah. and then you're bringing through two like earthing like, okay. lightning sort of protection ones that go okay. through on the top so. and la- last dumb question is when they bring it up to the actual like tower that's holding it are there people up there that attach it or does it kind of get like put into like a hook or something that's there to catch yeah, it yeah they or? pull through enough slack that they can lower it down to the ground yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, right. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Okay, there's that much weight on the other end. Or oh, you might have somebody up in an EWP that'll clamp mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Well. Yeah, wow. Okay, I'm buzzing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, a lot of really exciting stuff. Um, helicopter stringing and the energization dates are always yeah. just the high intensity. When you mm. turn a piece of, a big piece of electrical equipment on for the first time, that's I don't want to use the word buzz, but it is a huge buzz. It's <laughs> when you have a 125 MVA transformer that you turn it on, they hum. Groan, they hum. They hum, they, don't they? It is noisy. Mm. Um, it's really and 125 MVA. I've never been near a tranny that big. Yeah, that's well, huge. Well, you don't want to be near it when it's given to you for the first time. That's yeah, that's incredibly exciting. Um, yep. So yeah, that was the first four years was um, those four substations and the overhead transmission lines and then we went for uh, moved into the phase two which was another development off um, off the phase one stuff um, so that was another two years where I basically stood up into the the power lead sort of roles I was mm. more the project management um, for that scope and um, so instead of being a 25 billion dollar project it was a 1.8 billion dollar sort of project and I was in charge of Trump change delivering the um, <laughs> the power scope for that one which was um, one brownfield expansion of a substation another uh, 30 kilometres of overhead transmission line and another substation and 33 kV stuff at the other end and yeah. but yeah being in control of that um, you know again was a, another load of responsibility and being out on site um, you know for a full 12 months um, on a wow. ten, 10 and 4 roster but far out and you know, through the entire construction, um, you know, commissioning, energisation. Um, and luckily, like with that last one, it, you know, generally your energisation sequence would take a day or two, but like we energised that whole thing in like four hours. So oh, yeah. Operations, were, they were on the game, they'd been there, they'd tested it, they'd tried yeah. it out. They were familiar with it and they just... Wait like everything it. was, you know, 100% above board, but they... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, they're confident and they work like just connect through it and mm-hmm. what are the consequences if you get it wrong at that stage like what would be it's pre-energisation system or yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
you do all your pre-energization checks and that's where you will pick up if okay. if there is a phase imbalance Fox or something. But What's involved in a pre-energization check? Are you checking volts or amps or... Explain it to me, always. I'm, I'm lost here. It's <laughs> really just checking all the equipment before it goes. But um, mm-hmm. the biggest risk is if you've got two circuits coming in yep. that you cross the phases. Oh, okay. And then if you try and connect to crossed phases, yeah, you'll blow... Especially that's, at that, at that yeah. power, that will be explosions. Okay. That's when you have. Would you have arcing between those oh. like phases as well? Yeah, uh, potentially and all sorts. Decimates the connection. Literally, okay. explosions. Yeah. And yeah. what what phase? Like I know three phase, um, but like what phases are we dealing with there? Like all sorts of phases, or is just it mixing? So you've got A B C A B C, and okay. you're just mixing an A on one side with a B on the other side, right? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. You I'll, can get I'll stop with the dumb questions yeah, we, now. No, no, uh, we won't, do, we won't <laughs> deep dive into, into phases and, and frequency. It's not worth it, but another time. But, yeah. No, nice, nice. So, yeah, that, um, that was a huge amount of pressure that not so much – well, it, it was the bosses and all the management was, you know, putting a huge amount of pressure on, on me, but um, mm. also a huge amount of self-pressure that I put on myself that, yeah. um, mm. you know, I wanted to prove to myself that, I could do it. That yeah. that I was good enough to you know manage a project of this sort of size and for sure. Um, and you were. Yeah, and to have it all just go like clockwork to turn it on. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite sort of scary in a way, but like I was going from you know, 150, 160 emails a day. We turned it on. Everyone's like, "Yeah, this is awesome! It's on." <laughs> Pats on the back from all the managers, and then um, like literally the next day, my email account dropped down to about 10 emails a day. Really? Wow. And, um, you know, we were just so firmly in the spotlight to, you've mm. got to get it on, got to go, yeah, go, yep, go, yep. go, go, go. You're the, you know, we weren't late, but, you know, we were the, the focus of all the attention to get, yeah. the, to get the power on. And then management just went off to the next hot topic. Gone. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, wow. I, I yeah, pretty well spun myself into a fairly massive sort of a, a burnout after that. Um, mm. You know, just, you know, it was a killer 12 months on, mm. on site just absolutely flat out the whole time yeah. um, you know 150 odd people on site in my team um, you know it's a lot of responsibility it's a lot of stress um, mm. you know you, you get out there you're working from oh, in the office at 5.30 in the morning mm. leaving at 6 o'clock 7 o'clock at night you um, you know then big days not necessarily sleeping all that well you you know, yeah, you're under the pump the whole time. Um, you're on site for you know ten days in a row, and then you go home for four days. Mm. Um, at that point, we just had our second kid, so life was tricky at home as well. That you know, this yeah, you know, sure. getting woken up and um, sort of being the key player too. That on your R and A, you'd be constantly getting phone calls about, oh, what about this? What about that? Yeah, oh, sorry yeah. to disturb you, but can you answer this? And yeah, um, so you never really got a break and. Um, Mm. I remember like the night after we energized we all went up to the to the tavern at, at the camp and like having a few beers and you know it wasn't cold but I felt like I was freezing like I mm. could hardly hold up a can of beer I was, was like shaking yeah, wow. yeah. so bad and um, you know people were like oh why are you shaking and I'm like I, I don't know I'm just yeah you know there was just still that adrenaline rush stopped for 12 um, months yeah yeah and um it's it's kind of strange like you're just so flat out you're just running on adrenaline just and constantly trying to solve problems and 
solving stuff and just you know thinking 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 and then you get to the point where you didn't really have much to think about and it was just like it's quite easy to run yourself off the rails in that sort of situation that you know yeah. it was a massive handbrake you got pulled on all of the stress and everything and um, yeah so I, I finished up with QGC probably about three or four weeks after that and mm-hmm. decided I needed to take some time off and spend some time at home with the family and that was of your own accord and you, yeah yeah. so they, they offered me a, a three month extension to help out on the compression yeah. and the other facilities um, it got to the point where I felt like I was just there for the paycheck yeah um, and I you know, with the the power scope, that was my baby. I was, you know, mm. so passionate about getting it done that um, that was my scope, and I had to, I had to finish it. Um, you took ownership of it, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And then to go and just be helping out somebody else with their scope was, yeah, it didn't have as much meaning. So yeah, mm. yeah. I pulled the pin and took about three or four months off trying to figure out what on earth I was going to do next. <laughs> Beautiful. Fantastic! I'm, 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 I'm even a little bit yeah. overwhelmed just from finishing that section of the, the the chat. That's yeah, that's intense. And I guess that brings us to where where you did go next eventually after exactly three that's, to four months, which is something which we're really excited to talk to talk about. about. Let's talk about rapid. Yeah. So after QGC, I knew that I didn't necessarily want to work away from home ever again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I bet. Um, Smart guy. You know, the, the project management was great retrospectively, but it was a hell of a lot of stress. And mm. um, to be honest, it puts a really big toll on your body um, yeah. as well. And as, the family as, as well, would you say? The family wasn't too bad. Like, was everybody okay. was really supportive. Like, mm-hmm. we knew that we're there for the money and uh-huh. that we wanted to put ourselves ahead. And um, but yeah, it was rough on on the wife and kids as well. Yeah, for um, sure. They they didn't want me to be away, but um, yeah, so we put ourselves in a good enough position that you know I could sort of go and explore, you know, something else, and um, mm. you know something that had a bit more meaning for me. And um, it sort of turns out through a fair bit of uh, I'd say coaching and um, you know soul searching mm. sort of stuff that um, the mentoring piece was something that had a lot of value to me and. Um, mm. So yeah, I put a few things together. A few people suggested that I do like one-on-one coaching. Um, I knew that I wanted to work with people in that early sort of graduate sort of space in the first you know ten or so years of their career. So, um, like the coaching that I'd done previously, like work had paid for it, and it was you know seven or eight thousand dollars a year for you know one session a month, and I just knew that that wasn't affordable for for anybody that was you know just. Starting fresh, their career. just starting their career sure. or, you know, in their final years of uni or anything like that so um, how we mentioned Barefoot earlier um, he's got a, an online subscription model and I thought you know this is great I could you know do a heap of online learning modules and I'll put all the, the content online that you know people can sign mm-hmm. up and they can learn whenever they want wherever they want it's very you know, hands off from my perspective and, mm. and then I can just send them out weekly emails and stuff and yep. that really got me started and snowballed into Putting the uh, the rapid mentoring program together, which is it's just that it's a it's a twelve month subscription um, with all of our online learning modules of all the things that I did well through my career, all the things that I really didn't do all that well, <laughs> and, um, you know, all the things that I that I wish I could have done better. Um, so you know, we cover all sorts of topics from um, you know learning all about yourself, mm. um, you know, how to handle your finances and manage money and 
like dealing with stress. You know, what what is stress and yeah. um, you know how do you deal with it? It's just a lot of things that people don't get taught in university or, or in their job, and, and yet they're expected to to deal with a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's such a good initiative. Uh, I mean, I haven't spoken with you too much about this, Ryan, but last year I actually went down to Sydney and saw Tony Robbins and I've always been into self-help books and all those kind of things and it's crazy how much people, uh, like he's got a real cult around him, how much people really want to go and see him and learn about themselves and learn all these techniques to seek success in their lives. But there isn't really, and he does a whole business thing as well, but there isn't really anything um, specific for your career out there that I've found anyway. And for me, like when we first met you and you started describing this whole thing, I was like, well, here it is. This is specifically for me as an engineer and um, for any professional from in that matter um, to be able to go out and really um, practice, learn new skills and um, connect with a community of like-minded people who are trying to get ahead in their careers. Um, like These are people who really want to do well and make something of themselves, and um, it is such a head start. And it's kind of, for me, uh, after going through um, your modules and looking at it all, it was quite a similar thing to what a Tony Robbins or someone like that would offer in that they're doing a life-type uh, thing where it's a self-reflection, whereas this is an awesome opportunity to reflect on your career and how you can go about improving it. Um, specifically and strategically. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. What, what did you think about it, Ron? I've, lo- I've loved like the, the emails, in my, in my opinion, yeah. um, giving the pearls of wisdom and you know, book reviews. And, and we were just talking earlier before, you know, off air before the episode about, um, you know, Jim Quirk's uh, uh, speed reading. So these little things that, as we were mentioning, can you quickly talk about the, the slow breathing thing? Just, just a, a synapse, just to give people the power of, of consciously being incompetent I suppose <laughs> yeah it was just a, um, a small little training course that I did um, a couple of weeks back now but um, I just sent it out in, in today's um, like weekly email to the members but um, this was uh, just a deep breathing exercise that um, the output was to you know be able to help you hold your breath for longer mm. so a bit sceptical to be honest and um, so I sucked it up and took a big, a big deep breath and held my breath for as long as I could and I got to 48 seconds before I thought I was going to die and um, <laughs> so and then, I, then I did this quick 15 minute training course and you know, he teaches you how to do these you know, deep breaths and mm. um, you, you take 30 deep breaths and then you breathe out, not holding a big breath mm-hmm. of air and you hold your breath and see how long you can hold your breath for the first round I went for 2 minutes and 3 seconds Yep. and then I back to back went another round and held my breath for 2 minutes and 36 seconds wow massive and that's 2 or 300 percent <laughs> I was just absolutely blown away at such a simple tool tool that you can use to yeah 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 so a great meditation technique and mm. yeah and um, I mean I think it's kind of becoming a lot more kind of um, mainstream now meditation things like that but for a massive project that you're doing that to be able to go home and clear your head with a technique like that yes even though uh, maybe five years ago people would have been you goddamn hippie what are you doing I think it's yeah, just no, such an important thing and for like for me when I was in those stressful positions mm. like there is routines and habits that I had to do to get myself through get those days right. yeah. and you know if I could have set myself up with those habits at the start of my career you know, man, I would have been so much better off. I would have handled the stress better. I would have handled myself better. Mm. Um, 
So that's you know a lot of what Rapid is all about is yeah. passing on those pearls of wisdom down to the next generation, so that they don't necessarily have to make the same mistakes. So that, yeah, um, you know they take their career further and faster than than what I did, and yeah, um, and that's fantastic. And that's I think that's why I really love between the pretend engineers and, and Rapid mentoring is is exactly like you said with the pearls of wisdom, like. We've learned things the slow and hard way because someone didn't show us, even me, you know, 2019, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and even now, like I'm, I've been in the last six months really getting a decent professional journal going, just really documenting every day what I do, what I learned, what I didn't learn or, you know, what I didn't know and, and progressing. And, you know, if I'd started that three years ago, you know what I mean? How much more would I have thoroughly and, 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 and quickly learned just yeah. by documenting, just and, and it might seem obvious to a lot of people listening now, but yeah, it's not, for me, no. it, it wasn't obvious to mm. write a, a professional because I've never been a journal writer to, to write a professional journal entry every single day or once a week, talking about what you did learn, what you didn't know, what you did well, what you didn't do well, whatever. Yeah. And so that's what I think the pretend engineers embodies and what rapid mentoring definitely embodies is, is just giving people our tips and tricks we learned the hard way so that you don't have to. 100% agree so if you wanted to add something to your personal journaling each night um, like one of the, the tools that we've got within Rapid is the Rapid Debrief and this is something that I've done for a lot of years but um, and I find it really helps but it's a really simple thing that just at the end of the day so it might be 6 o'clock at night you basically just write down what are three things that I achieved today so give yourself a bit of a pat on the back for three things that, you, mm-hmm. that you've done what are three things that I need to achieve for tomorrow um, mm-hmm. Again, it's very simple, but it can give you something to look forward for tomorrow. That's your, your key three tasks that you need to do tomorrow. Mm. And then the last one is three things that I can be grateful for from the day. Love it. So yeah. it's just leaving the day with a bit of gratitude. and <clears throat> But for everybody, it just helps you switch off from work, leave mm. work at home. You can walk through the front door at home and go, I don't need to worry about work anymore. I've switched off mm. and you know, your evening is your own. You can actually So this relax. is something that's done at the office at the end of the day or at, at your workplace? Wherever, isn't it? You can do it wherever. Um, actually, some of our members have done both. Mm-hmm. So they do it at work and they write down a lot of shitty work stuff. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's great. Like Then they've got on their desk, they've got their three to-do things that they need to do the next day. And yeah. Some of the members come back and say, you know, that they're switching off the better, they're sleeping better they're performing better the next day because yeah. they're not tired and they've got mm-hmm. their key three things and that they need to focus on. they're a little bit prepared. Like they know yeah. what they've got to get done the next day. Totally. So it's a great challenge that anybody you know, really should I'll, pick up. And, you know, I love that because in. I've found it's so easy. Like you'll be working away, phone call comes in, issue. You go, you solve the issue, two hours later you get, you're like, what was I doing again? What was what was my goal for the day? What yep. was this outcome? Yeah. And that just gets neglected. If you're someone like me, I'm just I love solving little issues and I'm bouncing between them all. I'm very reactive in that in that aspect and I really need I was explaining to Warren at the start of this episode off air that I I need a structure, I need to follow a project management plan or something like that to ensure that I achieve all the outcomes. Mm. Um, and that to me sounds like a perfect technique in doing that. So yeah, rapids full of little tips and tricks and mm-hmm. hacks like that that you know yeah and 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 we said off air as well that's the one thing i love about the the, uh, the emails is that it's that little reminder where you never prioritize yourself enough in in the fast paced world we live in you don't think 
oh, today I've got to spend five minutes Googling a good tip that can help me in my career and my life. Yep. But when you get force-fed that email, you're like, amazing, I'm so yeah. appreciative of doing this, but I would have never thought to have stopped for five minutes. I stop for five minutes and look at Instagram, but I would never <laughs> yeah. think to stop for five minutes and Google and find easily a, a cool little tip to take my deep breaths from 48 seconds to two minutes and three sec- eight seconds, you know? So true. So that's that's why I re- that's the one thing I really appreciate about the emails. Yeah, well, take and the your, hard work you know, put into it. Take your, your reading, you know, um, like another, you know, quick example was like to take my reading, I was reading at 290 words per minute and do a quick little online session and to come back and then to be able to read at 420 words per, well, per, per minute, it's like a 30, 40% increase. And it's yeah. like, how much more valuable information can I jam into my brain over the course of a year? Mm. You know, it's a stack of books. Like 30 like or 40 percent. 30 centimeters high. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm definitely going back tonight. Yeah, Jim, Jim, Jim Quirk. Jim Quirk? Jim Quick. Jim Quick, that's yeah. right. Jim yeah. Quick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but that's, 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 again, I harp on it. That's the one I really love because you would never prioritize yourself to, to Google that and you wouldn't even find that sort of information within five minutes of Googling. It's a minefield out there. But when you do all the hard yards, and, and this is what I really love about rapid mentoring, is you can obviously see the passion you put into mentoring because, as we were saying off air, you spend, you know, 20, it's almost a full time job, 20, 30, 40 hours a week researching great content and tips and tricks and advice. Uh, and putting these into digestible words for you, for the mentees you have, yeah. mm. I couldn't find all that information if I did it in forty hours myself. You know, so mm. it's it's a great resource to have, and I definitely well, recommend because you haven't check got it out. the experience yet as well. And I yeah. think that's what Warren really has that he can bring to kind of mm. the people. But isn't that mindset? You know, like exactly. I could, as I said, I couldn't spend five minutes to Google how to you know improve my deep breaths. Yeah. But then if I read his email in five minutes, I'll be able to do it. You know? <laughs> so. I definitely recommend guys to check it out and um, and and yeah, see if it's for you because I definitely recommend it. Oh, and definitely have a look. I mean, like um, the price tag as well to go and have a look, and then almost propose it to your company or someone that's above you. I know, like back in my wholesome days, if I took that to one of the HR people, they would have paid for it in a heartbeat type thing. And so, don't go thinking that like you might have to go pay for it yourself. Go and talk to your companies first, and then afterwards, if if they don't want to. Well worth making the investment. Um, in both Ryan and I's opinion, we've both been on the program now for a little bit, and yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. So yeah, there's two ways to go about doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But I think uh, that's that's pretty much it, isn't it? What an episode, mate! Thank you very much, Ryan. We've learned a lot, covered a lot, and um, fascinating career, and uh, and yeah, trying to improve your your uh, career. Uh, further faster mate thank you very and, much for, for coming on and Warren just before we go uh, where can people find you on uh, say LinkedIn or for the rapid and all that kind of stuff uh, where should people be looking yeah so just um, I'm on LinkedIn um, is probably the best mm-hmm. place to find me um, rapidmentoring.com.au or just Google, Google rapid mentoring is yep it should find us um, providing our SEO is doing its, it's <laughs> But yeah, no, in all seriousness, um, yeah, get in touch. If um, I don't think we actually mentioned, but the, the program is $250 for the year. But mm. um, just as a, a special bonus for the pretension is um, listeners, if you if you are keen in, in signing up, um, flick me an email. And um, if you do happen to sign up, um, I'm happy to throw in a, a free one-on-one like a one-hour coaching session to, mm. to really, um, you know, kickstart your career and get you in the right direction 
Massive. Definitely Massive. some. Both Ryan and I have now had the pleasure of meeting Warren, and I would definitely recommend it. Couldn't meet a nicer bloke and someone with so much experience as he has. Uh, I don't think there'd be a question he couldn't answer for you. Yeah. Massive. Awesome. Well, mate, again, thanks very much, Warren. And uh, mate, we'll definitely, I'll definitely have some one-on-one chats with you, especially from the panel <laughs> space and uh, and the mentoring space. So, um, but yeah, thanks very much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and, and uh, story with the pretentious. Thanks. We really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Thank you.